to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, March 8th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 903, and coming up on today's show in the news, Los Angeles voters vote to regulate recreational pot, but the sheriff warns that federal enforcement may be imminent. In our Cannabis Focus, we look at the return of the men behind Responsible Ohio trying to secure one of Ohio's medical cannabis cultivation licenses. Today, in our wide world of weed, we take a look at the origins of Senator Rob Portman's fentanyl-laced marijuana rumor, and in the Radical Rant, we wonder about the inalienable right to pursue happiness and what founding father Thomas Jefferson would think of marijuana prohibition. Then, in Hour 2, what is the Supremacy Clause and what does it mean for states' rights to legalize marijuana? But first, let's get to the Cannabis Headline News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, March 8, 2017. A city-sponsored measure giving Los Angeles tools to regulate the recreational and medical marijuana industry was overwhelmingly approved by voters Tuesday night. Measure M, which was placed on the ballot by the city council, will allow the city to repeal a current ban on medical marijuana dispensaries under the previously approved Proposition D and replace it with a new set of rules for different types of marijuana businesses. It will give the city tools to enforce its regulations, such as authorizing fines, criminal penalties, or loss of power and water service for businesses operating without a license or ignoring city rules. The measure also allows for gross receipt taxes to be imposed on marijuana businesses, including the sale of general use and medical cannabis, delivery services, and manufacturing. The leader of the nation's largest sheriff's department expects federal drug agents will attempt to step up marijuana enforcement as California moves forward with legalization. But he believes there isn't the manpower to conduct widespread raids on growers and businesses selling marijuana. In a wide-ranging interview with the Associated Press on Tuesday, Los Angeles County Sheriff Jim McDonald said he expects legalization of recreational marijuana to bring additional challenges for his deputies, who patrol nearly 4,000 square miles in Southern California, from an increase in fatal traffic collisions to a rise in overdoses caused by brownies, gummies, and other edibles that deliver uneven dosages of THC, the chemical compound that provides the high. The legislature on Wednesday approved a bill allowing medical marijuana research in Utah. HB 130 was approved in the House after lawmakers concurred to amendments made earlier in the Senate. The bill previously passed the House 70 to 2 and in the Senate 23 to 1. It now goes to Governor Gary Herbert for his consideration. In addition to allowing researchers to study cannabis for medical use without federal approval, the bill would create a board to consider recommendations for future medical marijuana policy. In Senate committees last month, Senator Jim DeBacchus, a Democrat from Salt Lake City, though supportive of medical marijuana, voted against the bill, saying plenty of research has already been conducted into medical marijuana, adding, quote, this is to placate people that are suffering right now, end quote. By an overwhelming margin, the New Hampshire House has passed a bill decriminalizing marijuana possession. In a 318 to 36 vote Wednesday, the House approved HB 640, sponsored by Representative Denny Cushing, a Democrat from Hampton, and 10 bipartisan co-sponsors. The bill would reduce the penalty for possession of one ounce or less of marijuana to a civil violation punishable by a fine of $100 for a first offense with greater fines for subsequent offenses. Currently, possession is a criminal misdemeanor which carries a penalty of up to one year in prison and a fine of up to $2,000. The bill now moves to the New Hampshire State Senate, where decriminalization bills have been voted down in past sessions. Republican Governor Chris Sununu said he favors decriminalization. New Hampshire remains the only New England state that treats marijuana possession as a crime. 
Yesterday, Fort Myers Representative Ray Rodriguez finally unveiled the first medical marijuana regulations for the state of Florida, and they would ban people from smoking marijuana or using edibles. Patients would also be prohibited from vaporizing weed if they aren't terminally ill. In fact, Rodriguez's bill is more restrictive than the laws that existed before Florida overwhelmingly voted to legalize medical marijuana. Lawmakers also included rules mandating that a medical cannabis patient submit his or her state driver's license and a second form of ID to obtain to be approved for medical weed. Uh, patients can have their medical pot licenses suspended if they're charged, not convicted of a drug offense, and the state can also revoke pot licenses once a patient is deemed to be cured. A bill seeking to reduce the penalty for possessing small amounts of marijuana in Tennessee has been extinguished in a state Senate committee. The Judiciary Committee voted 6-3 to three on Tuesday against the measure sponsored by Senator Jeff Yarbrough. The bill would have made possession of less than one-eighth of an ounce of marijuana a Class C misdemeanor punishable by a fine of no more than $50. Pot possession is currently a Class A misdemeanor that can be punished with up to nearly a year in jail and a fine of up to $2,500. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, March 8th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. So, Sarah, what's going on here? Sarah? Sarah. She won't answer you. Or she can't. Why not? This is the way it's been since she started smoking pot. She's all lazy and boring and... You know, we used to have so much fun together. And now? This is what we do. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRust.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Some of the people who were taking marijuana for those purposes, the coroner uh, believed after they died there was drug interactions. Okay, maybe you're high too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. <laughs> Far out, man. I haven't seen a bong in years. <laughs> a public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in our Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at the return of Responsible Ohio. You remember these guys. Uh, back in 2015, the Responsible Ohio group, which was led by Ian James, was trying to legalize marijuana in an ill-thought ballot measure uh, uh, that would have legalized marijuana, but it would have... Uh, it would have limited the growing of cannabis to just these uh, particular groups, uh, 10 groups, investor groups that had uh, added their names to the uh, to the amendment by supporting it, by giving it two million dollars worth of uh, investment. So uh, so very many people in the cannabis community were upset by this because they saw it as a regulatory capture, as the industry just jumping in and using uh, massive financial clout to be able to buy itself its own market, to be able to lock everyone else out of this particular buy. But uh, now the uh, 
guys from Responsible Ohio are back. And uh, it's quite a funny story here because the people in Ohio, and for that matter, a lot of the cannabis community and those who were uh, uh, in the marijuana reform movement and marijuana media, were vocally opposed, or at least, at, at the very best, they were uh, lukewarm, noncommittal, or neutral toward the measure. But they, uh, in large part, rejected the measure because these guys, uh, Ian James and the Responsible Ohio Group, seemed to be just in it for the money, that they were just a bunch of money-making guys that were looking to use the popularity of marijuana to use regulatory capture to create an amendment that would basically lock them in as the marijuana growers in the state. And throughout that entire campaign, I was one of the few people involved uh, that was openly supporting this initiative, that was telling people time and time again that this is 2015 and this is Ohio that we're talking about. And the chance to legalize marijuana in Ohio, to actually get it on the ballot, is not going to come around very often. And that you should jump at the chance to legalize marijuana in Ohio. I told them of how this campaign by the investors in Responsible Ohio to lock themselves in as the owners of the only locations where marijuana could be grown in the state was a temporary problem at worst. First of all, all of the lands couldn't be have the the owners of those lands themselves couldn't grow all that cannabis on that land they would have to lease parts of those properties out to other growers to other companies other subcontractors if you will to grow the cannabis so there was going to be plenty of jobs and plenty of opportunity uh for entrepreneurs who were interested in growing cannabis that wasn't the issue it was more of a moral outrage to this idea of these people using the Constitution and using the issue of marijuana to lock themselves in for huge profits. But as I said, it was temporary because not only would those growers have to lease out space to other growers, those owners would have to lease out space to growers to be able to have the growing commence, but also eventually the rest of the country is going to be legalizing marijuana. Eventually the federal prohibition is going to fall. And if Ohio is stuck with a constitution that only limits a certain number of lands as places that can grow, and that state has to compete with nearby Kentucky or Tennessee or even the massive amounts of marijuana that's grown in Colorado or California, that for that matter, coming across uh, the country in the eventual future when marijuana is nationally legalized, that wouldn't have mattered in, uh, in Ohio by that point. But in the interim... Thousands of people who would be arrested, thousands of people who would be stopped and frisked, thousands of people even who would have been given tickets under the generous decriminalization in Ohio would not have had to suffer that indignity, that loss of liberty. But I lost. I was on the losing side in that battle. The Ohio, uh, responsible Ohio issue three went down to defeat uh, by the greatest measure of any marijuana initiative statewide since the 80s, since Oregon lost in the 80s. It's like a two-to-one loss, just about. 35%, I think I got, 36 maybe. So obviously, I wasn't in the majority there. Obviously, a lot of people thought the idea that these responsible Ohio investors would be enriching themselves by being able to grow marijuana locked into the Constitution was just too much for most people to handle. It was a monopoly, although it was technically an oligopoly, but whatever. And people wouldn't abide it. And after that Ohio issue three lost, I told folks that you're going to regret this. You're going to regret that you didn't jump on the opportunity to get legalization when you can. A legalization that would have been as good or better for the marijuana consumer than what we've got in the current eight states that have legalized. Well, maybe not as good as Maine's as far as the growing allowances, but it would have been in the ballpark with all the rest of them. There would have been hundreds or even more than a thousand pot shops to to to, uh, to shop at. There would have been a, a decent amount of marijuana possession allowed and decent amount of cultivation allowed. And I, I told them that this chance in 2015, you're going to regret not jumping at it because it's going to be 10 or 20 years before you get another shot. And what will happen in the interim is the momentum that you've generated 
among the people of Ohio for change in marijuana reform is going to be co-opted by your legislature. They're going to realize that if they don't do something, you might do something. And they're going to pass something far more restrictive than the people would have passed. And they're going to take the wind out of the sails out of marijuana reform. And I was exactly right. Sure enough, the responsible Ohio people who promised that they'd be back with another shot to legalize, they bowed out. They, they bowed out after Marijuana Policy Project had put forth their own initiative that they were going to go forward with medical marijuana in Ohio. And the MPP initiative for medical marijuana was not too dissimilar from recent medical marijuana initiatives. It wouldn't have been as good a medical marijuana as what issue three would have brought, but it was still pretty decent medical marijuana. But sure enough, as the Ohio legislature came into session looking over at Marijuana Policy Project with its chance at legalizing medical marijuana through initiative, went ahead and passed an Ohio medical marijuana law, a law that's very restrictive, doesn't allow uh, for home grow, doesn't allow for smoking and so forth. Just like I had predicted, Ohio legislature took the wind out of the sails, passed their own law, and now they're moving forward with it. And the idea of marijuana legalization being broached by any independent group or the legislature seems quite distant indeed. Well, now we get the news just broke today on Cleveland.com, Cleveland Plain Dealer, reporting that Ian James and his partner that were involved, that were the guys behind Responsible Ohio, have joined with another man in forming this company that is applying to be one of the 12 licensees for that new Ohio legislature-based, lousy state medical marijuana program. So after all of this, where the big problem, morally speaking, was that we had to stop Responsible Ohio and its investors from taking advantage of the law to lock themselves in to grow, med- to grow marijuana at one of ten constitutionally protected locations, where that was a big problem just two years ago. Now it looks like these guys are going to get what they wanted anyway. If they're one of the 12 that's approved, guess what? They're going to make a whole bunch of money cultivating cannabis into one of a limited number of sites locked in by the state. (laughs) They're going to get exactly what they were aiming for. And the people of Ohio that wanted recreational marijuana are left in the lurch. So I hope this little history lesson informs people. I hope people get the notion, get the idea, get the gist of this rant here that you don't pass up a chance at your own liberty, that questions of economics aren't as important as questions of freedom. Who gets rich by selling marijuana is not the problem we're trying to solve. We are trying to stop the harassment, ticketing, arrest, search, seizure, imprisonment of everyday average normal people that smoke pot, whether they got a good reason for it or not. So when I hear these arguments about how it should be taxed or who's going to make the money or who's in the commission or how much profit could be made or how many growers there's going to be or what's the square footage that's allowed or how much the license is going to cost. While these are important questions, they are secondary to the prime directive, and that is stop arresting people for marijuana. Stop punishing people for marijuana. The rest of this stuff we can work out. I mean... I'm I'm living right next door to Washington State, which is legalized marijuana in the worst way of any state that's legalized it. They've done a terrible job by all accounts, from the rec side, from the medical side. Nobody's happy with them. But I'll bet a whole bunch of Washingtonians who aren't getting tickets anymore are pretty happy about it. Whole bunch of people that used to have to, you know, track down some guy and wait for him to show up with a half gram shy bag are pretty happy about having places to shop legalization always trumps prohibition the economic arguments are secondary don't let another responsible ohio pass you by 
Look, I, you know, I, uh, I inhaled. All right, folks, that sound means that it is 20 after. That means it's 4.20 in the Mountain Time Zone. Happy 420 to all our friends in the Rocky Mountains. Time for us to take our union-mandated safety briefing. I will if you will. Smoke them if you got them. Be right back with more on Senator Rob Portman of Ohio. Speaking of Ohio, trying to uh, tie marijuana to the opiate overdose epidemic. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Yeah, I'd just like to thank you for being the cannabis crusader out there. You're a trusted voice in the industry, so keep doing what you do. Oh. I really appreciate it. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim you say that. That sucks. I hate Yeah. <laughs> A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The global prohibition of cannabis is a crime against the planet committed primarily by the United States. But as more U.S. states reform their marijuana laws, countries around the world are stepping back from cannabis prohibition. Join us now for a look at the international cannabis reform movement in this edition of The Wide World of Weed. Yesterday we uh, did a little radical rant on the comments of Senator Rob Portman. Uh, On Monday, he spoke during a hearing on the epidemic of opiate overdose that's affecting the nation. And his comments revealed how these retrograde politician prohibitions, these tough-on-crime drug warriors how they're going to try to demonize recreational marijuana now that it's so popular by linking it to the misery caused by addictions to heroin, oxycodone, and fentanyl. Now, Senator Portman has been aided by the actions of Canadian authorities who helped create and propel a rumor about fentanyl-laced marijuana to the top of North America's law enforcement's reefer madness. So first, Senator Portman from Ohio uh, invoked, just to catch up, if you missed a previous show, he invoked the long-debunked gateway theory when he talked about meeting a man suffering from heroin addiction whose multiple run-ins with the law could be traced back to that first joint that he smoked all the way back in high school. A couple of weeks ago during the state work period, I held a roundtable discussion in Fremont, Ohio, where I met Matt Bell, who's the founder of something called Team Recovery. Matt is an amazing guy. He's a very charismatic young guy. For him, the gateway drug was marijuana and alcohol in high school. He ended up overdosing on heroin three times. He was convicted of 13 felonies. He went to detox 28 times. Now he's clean and preventing new addictions from taking place by working nonstop to help raise awareness of the dangers of drug use. He goes around to schools. And he doesn't just talk to kids who are juniors and seniors, he talks to middle schoolers because he knows that he's got to go younger and younger to get kids to think about their own futures. The fact that this is one use sometimes, something that can ruin their lives. There we go. One use, one smoke of the joint, and it can ruin your life. And uh, later on in the uh, discussion, uh, his uh, speech there on the Senate floor, Senator Portman conjured up that drug-laced marijuana scare that's usually reserved for warning the parents about their kids' Halloween candy. While this bit of reefer madness typically claims that pot dealers are lacing their weed with PCP, this time it was the super potent opiate fentanyl that's the culprit in Senator Portman's anecdote. 
What's driving the growth of this epidemic is the increasing use of fentanyl. Drug traffickers are lacing other drugs with it. I was told by the DART task force in Toledo that they're actually sprinkling fentanyl on marijuana now. And people are showing up in the emergency room and overdosing on marijuana because it's sprinkled with fentanyl. It's more addictive, so the traffickers like it. It's more deadly, so we need to fight back. Well, it beggars belief that underground dealers selling marijuana would endanger their customers like that. People who buy marijuana typically only buy marijuana. They're searching for a mellow high, not a sleepy narcotic. If they get a laced product, they'll get a result they weren't looking for, and they won't buy from that dealer again, especially if that dealer's product put them in the emergency room or the graveyard. Also, why would the dealer take the fentanyl that he could be selling to people who are already addicted to it, his regular customers, and lose the profit on that by adding it to the marijuana. Well, Tom Angel at Massroots took on Senator Portman's claims that there is fentanyl-laced marijuana on the streets of Toledo. There's a quote from his Massroots piece. Kevin Smith, Portman's communications director, said in an email that the senator, quote, Heard this from the Lucas County Sheriff's Office DART unit, which he met with several weeks ago, end quote. But Lieutenant Bobby Cromick of the Lucas County DART told Mass Roots in a phone interview that, quote, I have personally, I personally have not heard, end quote, of marijuana being laced with fentanyl in the county, quote, that stuff is usually reported directly to me, end quote. Cromick did cite a state highway patrol intelligence briefing which he said noted that potential fentanyl-laced marijuana from Pennsylvania could be, quote, working its way westward, end quote. <laughs> so, uh, again, more hearsay, more warnings, but has anyone ever actually found this stuff? This fentanyl-laced marijuana urban legend seems to have been started around Vancouver, British Columbia in the summer of 2014. I did some research this morning. I found an August 2015 report at infonews.ca that features the opinions of Ken Salter. He's an outreach worker for the Kamloops Ask Wellness Society, uh, who said that he heard rumors about a year ago, his words, that fentanyl was being added to marijuana. Here's a quote from the story. He was convinced the rumors were true after two people he describes as hardcore users nearly overdosed after smoking lace joints. One man was rushed to the hospital. The other woke up hours later on his kitchen floor. He emphasizes both men were not strangers to opiate drugs, but were greatly affected by what he believes was fentanyl. Salter admits he cannot say with certainty what the marijuana was laced with. He has brought his concerns to the RCMP. Salter believes powdered fentanyl mixed with water is being sprayed on marijuana either because it is, has been laying around for a while, end quote, or has low THC levels. The fentanyl gives the weaker marijuana an extra kick or to grow an existing client base. Fentanyl is used to hook people usually, usually unknowingly onto a more powerful drug, end quote. That's the end of the bit from the uh, story. <laughs> Fentanyl is used to hook people, usually unknowingly, onto a more powerful drug. So the idea, the, the theory here is that marijuana smokers are just smoking marijuana, and we're going to put the fentanyl on it, and then that'll get them hooked to the fentanyl. But we're not telling them that there's fentanyl on it, so they're just going to think it's marijuana, so they're just going to keep buying the marijuana. Where, where's the point where they actually f move over to the fentanyl? <laughs> how, how does that work when you're not telling them you're put? I don't know. Oh. Anyway, Salter's opinions <laughs> seem to have swayed the Vancouver Police Department. By the spring of 2015, they were beginning an awareness campaign about the dangers of fentanyl that included warnings about marijuana laced with the powerful opiate. This is uh, from, let's see, was it the Globe and Mail? Yes, from the Globe and Mail, from their site, from their post. Vancouver Police Department Constable Sandra Glendinning said drug users may not know they are buying drugs laced with fentanyl. Quote, they're not realizing what they're taking, and that's what's leading to some of these deaths. End quote, she said at a press conference on Monday. 
The awareness campaign, which includes the website knowyoursource.ca and Facebook advertising, will target recreational users rather than people who take illegal drugs daily. Fentanyl overdoses have typically been associated with heroin use, but the drug is also showing up mixed with marijuana, cocaine, and oxycodone. So that's a pretty scary warning right there in the top half of this piece on the Globe and Mail. It's not until the penultimate paragraph that we get any indication that this fentanyl-laced marijuana is still just a rumor. The second-to-last paragraph says, quote, The coroner's office has not released information about what other drugs were detected with fentanyl in last year's overdose deaths. That means it is impossible to say whether any recreational marijuana users, for instance, have died from a fentanyl overdose. Yes, but you got the constable here going out from the Vancouver PD, putting up a website telling people fentanyl overdoses are associated with marijuana. And the Vancouver Police Department then, are they're the ones that's behind this uh, knowyoursource.ca because I took a look at this. Now, thankfully, the website today, if you go to knowyoursource.ca, doesn't mention a thing about marijuana. It's not on the site anymore. KnowYourSource.ca was first registered in February of 2015 by the Vancouver Police Department. The first snapshot I could find of the site was on March 7th, 2015, which is right about the same time as the announcement of that awareness campaign. So I got to believe it's the the way the website looked when it was first produced. And it included the line, quote, heroin, cocaine, oxycodone, marijuana, and other drugs can be cut with fentanyl in powder, liquid, or pill form. It often comes in similar packaging, end quote. But by May 7th, 2015, two months later, at least according to the snapshots on archive.org, the Van- Vancouver police had scrubbed the word marijuana off that page. Now the quote says heroin, cocaine, oxycodone, and other drugs can be cut with fentanyl in powder, liquid, or pill form. So they just took the marijuana out, took the word marijuana out. Two years ago, May of 2015, but as late as December 17th, 2015, Vancouver police were still spreading the rumor that fentanyl-laced marijuana was turning up in British Columbia. This is a story that appeared on theprovince.com that says, quote, Startling statistics on fentanyl-related overdoses and deaths have prompted police and health authorities to issue a public warning, particular particularly to recreational pot users. Vancouver Police Constable Sandra Glendinning, remember her, at a news conference Monday to highlight the lethal risks of the synthetic drug, said they are now finding fentanyl turned up in batches of seized marijuana. She said city police will announce Tuesday a major fentanyl ring has been busted, but didn't provide any further details. And once again, they could not offer up any proof this was actually happening. The story continues, Glendinning could not say if any fatal deaths in Vancouver were due to pot laced with fentanyl, but she insisted that, quote, absolutely, end quote, police are seeing fentanyl in marijuana. If they're absolutely seeing it, just show us some proof, Constable Glendinning. <laughs> just, just a lab report would be nice. This rumor continued to circulate through Canada throughout 2016 culminating in the November 17th, 2016 news conference by the Premier of British Columbia, begging the federal government in Ottawa for assistance in combating the opiate epidemic. Now, this is a quote from the story at uh, CTV News, the Canadian television news. But during a news conference Thursday, British Columbia Premier Christy Clark warned that fentanyl had even been found in B.C. Bud. Quote, Regulating marijuana is even more important now when we're finding fentanyl in marijuana. Vancouver police did a major seizure, end quote, Clark told reporters. However, Clark seemed to be relying on the old information from the Vancouver police who apparently didn't do a very good job clearing the air about marijuana and fentanyl. The story continues. In an email, police said the suggestion that some marijuana was laced with fentanyl, quote, may have been the belief at the time, but it has shown not to be the case, and we continue to correct any misinformation, 
end quote. The B.C. Coroner Service has no reports of deaths directly related to fentanyl-laced marijuana, but the province's public safety minister insists there is still cause for concern. <laughs> what? Well, that concern from the public safety minister, Mike Morris, is based on what he heard about people who claimed to be marijuana-only users receiving treatment with naloxone, the overdose uh, reversal drug. You know, people that are heroin overdose, you give them naloxone, it'll reverse the, uh, the, the, the effects. But even he admitted, even Mike Morris admitted to the CTV reporters, quote, that the individuals he'd heard about may have lied but said he best believed it's best to be vigilant, end quote. <laughs> yeah, do you suppose people that are, that are using fentanyl, that are using opiates, that are using heroin, might lie about their use of it, might try to cop to using marijuana, something that's going to get them less uh, of a uh, punishment? Do you suppose? Just maybe. So by February 9th, 2017, this fentanyl-laced marijuana rumor had made its way across the border and into Ohio, where little Painesville Township became the U.S. ground zero for this scaremongering. This is from the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Three people overdosed within a 12-hour period after smoking marijuana laced with an unknown opiate, the Painesville Township Fire Department said. The fire department issued a warning on its Facebook page after three people overdosed late Tuesday and early Wednesday in Painesville Township. Fire department paramedics revived all three with Narcan, a life-saving opioid overdose antidote, Chief Frank Whitaker said Thursday. And just four days later, the fire department had to retract that assertion. Lake County officials have determined that three people who claimed they overdosed on marijuana laced with an unknown opiate actually used crack cocaine and other drugs. Lab tests confirmed that the marijuana seized during three separate overdose investigations was not laced with an opiate such as heroin or fentanyl, the Painesville Township Fire Department said on Facebook. Quote, Lab results did find crack cocaine and other drugs in the residence, fire department officials said in the post. Sometimes people are not honest with us about what they have taken or used. End quote. <laughs> yeah, some people aren't honest. And let's be clear about this. Whether marijuana can be spiked with fentanyl isn't in question. Drug users mix and match their substances all the time. In fact, in doing my research this morning, I found this case involving the death of Rachel McHugh's toddler in Indiana. There's a case from uh, June 10th, 2013, before the Vancouver and the Kamloops uh, fentanyl-laced marijuana scare started. June 10th, 2013, where the defendant, Thomas Gorski, the boyfriend, was convicted of felony neglect of a dependent resulting in serious bodily injury. And in the case, he admitted to the police that he smoked marijuana laced with fentanyl. This is from the uh, court proceedings. Gorski admitted to police that he abused hydrocodone and marijuana. McHugh told police that Gorski had smoked marijuana that was laced with fentanyl, a narcotic, right before she left for work on November 24th. Gorski gave the police a blood sample which contained cannabinoids and fentanyl. He had a prescription for the fentanyl. In addition, the police searched Gorski's computer. They found an online discussion between Gorski and another person that had taken place on the night of November 24th when Gorski was watching Evan and his children. Gorski attempted to convince the other person to come to his home and trade marijuana for a fentanyl patch. The deal fell apart because Gorski insisted that the person consume the fentanyl at his home, and the person wanted to take the patch to his own residence. And even that is a little bit suspicious because it's the girlfriend whose kid had just been killed saying that the boyfriend smoked marijuana with fentanyl laced in it. But the proof we have that he had cannabinoids and fentanyl in his bloodstream doesn't tell us anything because he has a prescription for fentanyl. And he's trying to trade marijuana for fentanyl patches, so he's using patches. We don't know that he's mixing it with the fentanyl. Now, we know that he was on both drugs, but that still doesn't give as much credence to the idea of marijuana being laced with the fentanyl. Maybe she's lying. Maybe she's telling the truth. Hard to tell. So it's not a question of whether or not people are going to 
mix their drugs, that there could be marijuana laced with fentanyl somewhere. The question is whether there are actually marijuana dealers out there lacing their product with fentanyl and selling it to their customers and not telling them. <laughs> that's, that's the real question. In fact, just this morning, there is this report out of Alabama claiming that police in Madison County have seized 30 pounds of fentanyl-laced marijuana. This is from Alabama.com. Madison County Sheriff's Captain Michael Salamonski said investigators believe the suspects were selling marijuana and spice in $60 packages that contained 5 grams of the substances laced with heroin or fentanyl. While field tests have identified white powder substances as fentanyl and heroin, Salamonski said authorities have sent the substances for testing at the Alabama Department of Forensic Services. So, again, <laughs> the police conducted field tests on the white powder that they found. But what about the marijuana? What is it that leads them to believe that the marijuana is tainted with the fentanyl? They don't have a test that shows that yet. So I reached out to the reporter from Alabama.com. Her name's Ashley Remkus. For some clarification via Twitter, I asked her, "Is are there tests that are confirming this? And she tweeted back, quote, no, for now it's just suspicion and field test results. The substances are being tested by Alabama Department of Forensics, as the story states. <laughs> okay, so the field test, the field test. So we don't know. We know that they field tested the fentanyl and the heroin. We don't know if they field tested the marijuana or if they field tested the marijuana, did it also show positive for fentanyl? But let's just go ahead and say that it's full of fentanyl and what the hell? <laughs> Look, regular readers of my articles at weednews.co will know that last month I wrote up a story on how these field tests are highly inaccurate and recently earned a man jail time with the sugar glaze from a Krispy Kreme donut, which was identified by a field test as methamphetamine. This demonization of marijuana legalization by tying it to some fentanyl-laced gateway drug theory isn't just preposterous, it's counterproductive. The most recent studies and surveys show that access to marijuana is correlated with fewer opiate overdose deaths, less opiates detected in car crash victims, less opiate addiction, fewer opiate pills prescribed by doctors, and less use of those opiates by pain patients. So in that context, the continued scaremongering about fentanyl-laced marijuana by Canadian and American officials may be unwittingly aiding the efforts to legalize marijuana. Because not only would legalized marijuana help reduce the problems we're seeing with opiate addiction, but a legal marijuana shop is never going to sell anybody fentanyl-laced marijuana. <laughs> never. I will never find that in any pot shop in Portland, Oregon. Not that the... People like Senator Rob Portman are going to recognize science when it slaps him in the face. Tom Angel out there at Massroots, he updated his post later this morning with comments that he got back from the senator regarding the so-called long-debunked gateway theory. This is from the update. Smith, the senator's communication director, said in an email that, quote, anyone who doesn't think marijuana is a gateway drug to heroin and other drugs is deluding themselves. The senator hears it time and time again from those in treatment and recovery. End quote. <laughs> you can show them the studies. You can show them the National Institute of Health, even the federal government studied this and said there is no causal relationship between the use of marijuana and the subsequent use of other drugs, period, end of sentence. Nope. They'll just flat out deny it. This alternative fact about marijuana leading to opiate abuse is a favorite of the nation's attorney general, Jeff Sessions as well, who, who has said you can deny it all you want to, no matter that every study conducted by governments and universities has concluded that the gateway drug is a myth. But this is our own attorney general and what he believes on this. Lives will be impacted. Families will be broken up. Children will be damaged because of the difficulties their parents have, and people may be psychologically impacted the rest of their lives uh, with marijuana. And if they go on to more serious drugs, which tends to happen, 
You can deny it if you want to, but it tends to happen. Uh, there'll be even greater causes. And it's false that marijuana use doesn't lead people to more drug use. Folks, this is the way, this is the game plan they've got for demonizing marijuana as it's become increasingly popular. The only plan they've got left is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And that fear is going to be linked to the very real opiate epidemic that we've got in this country. It's going to take all of our efforts to educate the public, to let them know that cannabis isn't the gateway drug. Cannabis is the exit drug. Cannabis is the exit from pharmaceutical abuse. It is the cure for pharmaceutical abuse. All right, we're right back with some inalienable rights when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. A substance that half Americans think should be legal, and more than two-thirds say the states should be free to regulate. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. This is Radical Russ Belleville with a word about giving back. We're all very excited about the recent gains in marijuana reform. But while you may love the convenience of shopping for marijuana at a storefront, or are lucky enough to be profiting from the green rush... It's important that you remember that you wouldn't be where you are today without the sacrifices of cannabis freedom fighters who risked everything when zero states had marijuana legalization. Join, support, and donate to your local and national drug reform organizations, including the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, NORMAL, at normal.org, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, at ssdp.org, Marijuana Policy Project, at mpp.org, Americans for Safe Access, at safeaccessnow.org, Drug Policy Alliance, at drugpolicy.org, and Law Enforcement Action Partnership, at leap.cc. This has been a public service announcement from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemies, number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheech and chong Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was the point. I think it would be a mistake to leave Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. Over these uh, past week or so, I've been raving about this ABC miniseries, uh, When We Rise, that cataloged the LGBT rights movement from Stonewall all the way through gay marriage. And on the fourth night of that show, it detailed the fight to overturn California's Prop 8, the anti-gay marriage initiative that the uh, Mormon church and others funded to uh, deny the same-sex marriage rights to people in California. Now, that case, very famously, was argued by two very prominent lawyers, David Boyce and Ted Olson. And what makes them so amazing is these guys were the two that faced off against each other in the landmark 2000 case Bush v. Gore that gave us President George W. Bush. Uh, Ted Olson argued for Bush. David Boys argued for Gore and lost. But the two of them teamed up on the case to overturn Prop 8. And there was a there was a part in the, the miniseries where they're talking to Ted Olson or where Ted Olson's on. Uh, a podium at the, discussing the the win of the case at the or go, the case going before the D.C. Circuit and or was it San Francisco Circuit Court? Whatever. But anyway, going before the Circuit Court, and he made the point that there wasn't a need 
to move forward with civil rights legislation for gay and lesbian people because he believed the Constitution already guaranteed them these rights. That the right of gay and lesbian people to enter civil contract of marriage was a right that's already in the Constitution. And when I saw that, I, I began to think about that. It's something that's, you know, I've always made these parallels between the gay rights movement and the marijuana movement. And there's yet another one. Our right to smoke marijuana is already in the Constitution. We are being denied a constitutional civil liberty. And I base this on the inalienable rights that we have, our natural rights endowed upon us by our creator. As our Declaration of Independence, scripted by Thomas Jefferson, so eloquently put it, quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That when any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Right there twice in that paragraph is the word happiness, the pursuit of happiness and the establishment of, of governments most likely to affect their happiness. And the word affect their meaning to produce, to lead to, to incentivize, if you will, their happiness. Now, of course, this is just the Declaration of Independence. Keep that in mind. According to uh, numerous court cases, the Supreme Court is not as the Supreme Court has decided that the Declaration itself is not uh, something you can base precedence or law upon. In fact, uh, there's at least a hundred cases that have the Declaration of Independence mentioned in the case, in the in the opinion, but there's not any case where the Declaration of Independence is the authority behind that opinion. In fact, uh, in the case Cotting versus Goddard. This was a case from 1901. The Supreme Court stated, quote, the first official action of this nation declared the foundation of government in these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. While such declaration of principles may not have the force of organic law, or be made the basis of judicial decision as to the limits and rights and duty. And while all cases references must be had to the organic law of the nation for such limits, yet the latter is but the body and the letter of which the former is the thought and the spirit. And it is always safe to read the letter of the constitution in the spirit of the declaration of independence. No duty rests more imperatively upon the courts than the enforcement of those constitutional provisions intended to secure that equality of rights, which is the foundation of free government, end quote. If I may paraphrase this just a little bit, the Supreme Court from 1901 said the, the Constitution is the law, and that's how you base your laws, but the spirit of those laws is in the Declaration. And it's the job of the courts to judge accordingly so that the Constitution, that that reading the letter of the law, is following the intent of the Declaration, following the idea that all men are created equal, that we're all entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that those are just among, just among our natural rights. They didn't write them all down. We've got a Ninth Amendment to our Constitution that says the enumeration of certain rights within this Constitution is not meant to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Which basically means we didn't write them all down. 
Just because we said, here's the right to free speech, the right to bear arms, the right to a civil trial, the right not, not to be subject to cruel and unusual punishment, the right to religion, the right to assembly, the right to petition. Since we wrote all these rights down, that ain't all of them. You can't say, well, you don't have a right to do this because here's all the rights that are enumerated and that's the only ones you get. No. The Ninth Amendment says, here's a bunch of them. Here's a bunch of rights, but it's not all of them. You might have a bunch of others. So if the Declaration is the spirit of our law and it says that among our inalienable rights is the pursuit of happiness, it leads me to think that we have the right to pursue happiness and that if smoke and pot is a part of that pursuit... Who is the government to tell us it is not? Doing a little research on this, I, I decided to take a look at some of the writing of Thomas Jefferson on this. What was he thinking when he was writing, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? He wrote in a letter in 1791 to Archibald Stewart, quote, I would rather be exposed to the inconveniences attending too much liberty than to those attending too small a degree of it. <laughs> yeah. He also uh, wrote in a letter to Dr. John Manners in 1817 about the concept of expatriation, the idea that you could leave your country, leave a place, deny your citizenship of it. And in this case, the context is Britain. Uh, that is an inalienable right of yours, even though that's not written down in the Constitution anywhere. There's no rights written down that says you have the right to expatriation. But he wrote, quote, the evidence of this natural right, like that of our right to life, liberty and the use of our. Excuse me, let me start again. The evidence of this natural right, like that of our right to life, liberty, the use of our faculties, the pursuit of happiness is not left to the feeble and sophistical investigations of reason, but is impressed on the sense of every man. Now, you may notice there's an extra bit in there. Life, liberty, the use of our faculties, the pursuit of happiness. The use of our faculties. He's not talking about the teacher's lounge here. He's talking about our brains, our minds. That the use of our mind is right there. Among life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He continues by saying, we do not claim these under the charters of kings or legislators, but under the king of kings, referring to Jesus. If he has made it a law in the nature of man to pursue his own happiness, he has left him free in the choice of place as well as mode. And we may safely call on the whole body of English jurists to produce the map on which nature has traced for each individual the geographical line which she forbids him to, per, to cross in the pursuit of happiness. So he's making the argument there, where did nature, where did God make lines on the earth that determined where people could pursue happiness, right? This is the whole expatriation part. But he continues by adding, quote, it certainly does not exist in his mind. Where then is it? Thomas Jefferson thought that our inalienable rights included the exercising of our faculties, <laughs> that the use of our faculties, that there was no, there certainly couldn't be any line within our mind that we couldn't cross to pursue happiness. It seems clear to me in the context of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution's Ninth Amendment, and the writings of Thomas Jefferson, among many of the Founding Fathers, that they considered our cognitive liberty to be supreme above all. It's right there in the First Amendment, the right to the freedom of religion and the freedom from religion. What is religion? Religion is just a place you invent in your mind, isn't it? And if the government can't promote that or restrict that, it says pretty clearly to me that the Founding Fathers intended our government to stay out of our heads. And that, to me, argues for our inalienable right to use drugs. That's all the time we got, podcasters. Thanks for joining us. Live listeners, stay tuned. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. 
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seat, you manage, you go into your giant, you own it.